Let us pray. Gracious and eternal God, we thank you for this beautiful day and for the opportunity we have to gather together as your people. We pray that your word would bear rich fruit in our hearts this day. And I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let me tell you about Marvin. Marvin was a 45-year-old alcoholic. He had lived a rough life. He now was homeless, sleeping wherever he could along the Sacramento River. He was dirty, and he was desolate, and he was destitute. He was not exactly, he would be the very first to admit what you would call a model citizen. And one afternoon, he was hanging around the edges of a street fair in downtown Sacramento when he noticed a a young boy sitting all by himself on grass. The boy appeared to be about four years old, and Marvin thought that he looked a bit overwhelmed. Marvin watched him for a long time and gradually came to the realization that this boy didn't seem to be connected to any adult. Marvin remembered once having been lost as a child, and he remembered how terrified he had been. So he went over to the boy and asked him, are you lost? And the boy burst into tears. Now don't you worry, Marvin said, I've been lost before. I know just what to do. We'll find us a nice policeman. Look, there's one over there. Let's just walk over and talk to the policeman. And the boy very gratefully took Marvin's hand and they walked toward the policeman. They hadn't gone far when a woman came running over, hitting Marvin and screaming at him to let her child go. Of course, a crowd quickly formed and people began to yell at Marvin and and to threaten Marvin. Luckily, just at that moment, the policeman saw what was happening and came over and, and began to ask questions and in the process learned that the mother, in fact, had thought the boy was with his aunt, and the aunt had thought the boy was with his mother, so he really had been unattended in this crowd. Talking about the experience later, Marvin said, I thought I was going to go to jail, but in the end, the officer believed me. He believed me. If you show partiality, writes James in our epistle lesson today, you commit sin. And again, do you, with your acts of partiality, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Partiality. It's kind of an unusual word in English. It's even more so in Greek. In fact, this Greek word never appears in classical Greek literature. It is found only in the New Testament and other Christian writings. And that probably means that it's a word that the early Christians actually coined themselves in order to describe a certain kind of attitude that they condemned. The word literally means showing your face to someone. And and the implication, see, is that when you show your face to someone, you're showing your back to someone as well. And so the idea here 
is that it is a sin to show favoritism to one person over another. Today, of course, we have a legal term for this. What is it? Discrimination, exactly. We have laws that try to prevent it in many contexts. But but James isn't talking about the law here. He's not talking about job discrimination or affirmative action or any of those political footballs. Rather, he's referring to an attitude of the heart. An attitude toward other people and, and the assumptions that we make about other people. And the example that James gives is quite graphic and it sounds rather modern and it sounds rather, uh, cuts rather close to the bone. Two people visit a congregation, one obviously rich and the other shabbily dressed. And who gets the attention? The rich guy. Oh, welcome to church this morning. We're so glad to have you here. Please come and join us for coffee. Please come back. Be sure you sign our guest book. And just as it seemed to happen 2,000 years ago, the rich person gets treated with honor and the other is scarcely noticed. Of course, it works the other way, too, you know. Sometimes it's that we pay undue attention to someone who seems different from us. That's what happened with Marvin, right? Would, would the mother of that lost child have responded in the same way if the person she saw holding her child's hand was a well-dressed and attractive matronly middle-aged woman instead of Marvin? Probably not. And who would blame her? I mean, if it was my child, I would have reacted the same way, wouldn't you? We respond to people in all kinds of ways based on how they look and their status in life and the assumptions that we make about them and and what we think we may have to fear or to gain from them. And here comes James telling us that our prejudicial attitudes toward people, as natural as they seem to be to us, are in fact a sin. They cause us to violate the commandment of God. You know the one, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as much as we love and honor that commandment, we have to admit that we have a little trouble with it in real life, don't we? You know, I've always loved the comment that Charlie Brown makes in one of his one of the classic Peanuts cartoon strips where he says with exasperation, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> See, we're all for loving our neighbor in the abstract. But when we come face to face with some of those neighbors, it's exceedingly difficult. And yet, real life is where this commandment gets played out. And while James' example has to do with showing partiality to the rich as opposed to the poor, there are plenty of other ways that we categorize people that are every bit as insidious. Maybe we show favoritism to persons of one race or ethnicity, or we avoid persons who have certain lifestyles, or we find ourselves naturally attracted to people who talk or dress as we do, or maybe who share our political opinions, often we do this unconsciously. It's really just how we've learned to behave. And what we need is to be confronted again and again, like James confronts us this morning, until we can see those attitudes in ourselves 
and try to change them. One summer, back in the last millennium when I was in college, my friend David and I were driving in his beat-up old car through the state of Virginia. And we were pulled over by a state trooper for no apparent reason. Now, through a combination of perfectly legal circumstances, David's parents' uh, papers seemed a, a little out of order. His driver's license was from North Carolina, the license plate on the car was from Ohio, and the car registration was from Tennessee. <laughs> and, of course, this caused the officer to ask a few questions. Actually, a lot of questions. <laughs> And so David tried to explain all the intricacies of his situation. His, his home address was in North Carolina. That's where his parents lived. He was a student. He'd been going to school in Ohio, which is where he bought the car. And now he was taking a job in Tennessee. And he'd actually already registered the, the car in Tennessee, but he didn't have the new plates yet. And as he tried to explain all of these details, he, he got more and more frustrated and finally made some comment uh, not quite under his breath about, about being hassled. Now, how well do you think that went over? <laughs> well, you're wrong. That's not how it went over. I will never forget the look on the officer's face. It was a look of sudden shock. He said, I'm sorry, sir, I didn't mean to hassle you, and turned around and went back to his car. It was as if David's comment had made the trooper realize that there was, in fact, no reason he should even have stopped us. David wasn't speeding. There was nothing that looked out of order, from the outside at least, other than a beat-up old car and two college kids whose hair was admittedly a, a bit long by 1969 Virginia standards, he had made assumptions about us just based on the way we looked. And when David made this comment, bless his heart, this officer was sort of hit in the face with self-realization that in fact he had simply made an unfounded assumption. And see, that's just what James is talking about here. These unfounded assumptions, we need sometimes to be hit in the face to realize that we even have them. The reason that the Bible gives for not showing partiality is very simple. It is that God shows no partiality. You know, that particular phrase appears half a dozen times in the Bible. God shows no partiality. Six times you'll find that in the Bible. Jesus embodied that truth in everything that he did. We catch a, a glimpse of it this morning when he ministers both to this uh, foreign woman, this Syrophoenician, this Gentile, and also to this deaf man, both of them outcasts in proper society of his day. And his lack of partiality went far beyond those two stories. He ate with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and Gentiles, all the people that proper people would disregard. Jesus ate with them, talked with them. His love embraced everyone. He treated every person with respect. 
And that's also what he asks of us. I was struck by the phrase in James, you have dishonored the poor. That gives a, a very important sense of what this is all about, this loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, sometimes we think that means everybody in the world has to be our best friend. That's not it. You can't be best friends with everybody in the world. It does mean that you must honor every person, that you must treat every person with respect, that you must recognize in every person a precious child of God whom Christ loved. Anybody have trouble with this? I do. The other day I was in a store. The salesperson was being in my mind less than helpful. I responded in a tone of voice that may possibly have expressed my irritation and my... <laughs> lack of enthusiasm for the person's failure to serve me as I deserved. And the words about that didn't come out of my mouth, and they weren't actually even clearly articulated in my mind, but they were there in my heart. This is just a salesperson. He doesn't matter. But you see, he does matter. You have dishonored the poor, James says. I dishonored this salesperson because I did not look at his face and see there a person for whom Christ died. When the late Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize, the head of the Nobel Committee described her this way, the hallmark of her work has been respect for the individual's worth and dignity. The loneliest and the most wretched, the dying destitute, the abandoned lepers have been received by her and her sisters with warm compassion, devoid of condescension, based on this reverence for Christ in the human being. Or as a professor at Catholic University put it, she did not look at masses of people, she looked at the person in front of her. One face, one smile, one heart one person at a time, one person at a time. That's how Jesus did it too. You see, when you look at people one person at a time, you cannot show partiality because there's nobody to compare them to. You can't weigh one person against another when you're looking at one person at a time. Is it easy to learn to do this? No. It requires constant attention. It requires, above all, a humble reliance on God's grace to remind us, to confront us, to train us, to forgive us when we fail, because we do fail often. That's why every single week we come here and as we will in just a few minutes confess to God we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. But it's something that we need to do. James is uncompromising on this point and of course Jesus is equally uncompromising. By treating people with partiality, James says, you really raise the question of whether you, in fact, even believe in Jesus Christ. It's 
So it doesn't matter if the face before you is a homeless person like Marvin or a leper or a person with AIDS or an irritating salesperson or a whining student or an unfair teacher. It doesn't matter if she's a a person of color or a person whose English is broken or if she's an undocumented immigrant or if she's a person whose politics you detest. It doesn't matter if he's a sinner or a convict or a drunk or a bigot. It doesn't matter. Read James. Where does he give exceptions? Where does he say, show no partiality except to such and such a person? He doesn't do it. What matters is that this face is the face of a person whom Christ loves and for whom Christ died. And what Christ asks of you and me is that we be the agent of his love and treat every person with honor and respect, one person at a time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.